Hi, I'm Jody Butts. Welcome to the 2020 Network presented by Interact. Today, I speak with Bruce McDonald, President and CEO of Imagine Canada, about how COVID-19 is impacting charities, nonprofits, and social enterprises, and what some are doing to soften the blow. Thank you, Bruce, for joining me. Let's start by talking about Imagine Canada. Can you talk to us about your organization and the work you do with charities and nonprofits across the country? Uh, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to participate today. Um, so Imagine Canada, we're a national organization, a national registered charity. And really what we seek to do is improve the operating environment in which charities, nonprofits, and social entrepreneurs function. You know, in our world, we measure success by whether local organizations, regional or national, find it easier and, and other ways, better ways to serve Canadians. And we do that primarily in four ways through the provision of data research information and knowledge so that leaders have up-to-date information with which to make informed choices. We're public policy advocates in Ottawa. We're kind of those, the eyes and ears for the sector at the federal government level, looking at policy and changes, and it's very timely right now. Uh, we certify charities, so we demonstrate to Canadians the highest levels of good governance, transparency, and accountability through the delivery of our national standards program. And our fourth, and it's sort of an emergent area, is we seek to become uh, a business consumer organization, inviting organizations to think about social good in this country, whether it's inviting them to move away from a fixation of cost of overhead and cost of fundraising as a sole determinant of worth or create a new social norm for giving. We seek to reach out to Canadians and say, it's important that you think about the system that supports the services. So what are you seeing today? I mean, I imagine what was happening in December and the kinds of issues you were engaging with uh, was very different than what you're seeing happening across the charitable and not-for-profit sector today. Uh, absolutely. The game has totally changed. The old rule book has been thrown out and a new one is in place. Uh, the impact of this particular crisis on the charitable and nonprofit sector is one that could be, you know, extremely difficult. Uh, as a sector, we're not necessarily structured to withstand these kinds of times. You know, when you think about it, uh, most organizations in this country don't have cash reserves, or if they do, they're not that deep. They're not structured to last six, uh, six months or somewhere between three and six months. And at the same time, when you think about the ability of the sector to get um, bank loans, that's, that's really challenging uh, because they don't have capital assets. So at a time when revenues are going to drop, one of the things that we're really looking at is, is there a cash crisis coming which would enable organizations to continue functioning and provide the services that people need. So these are going to be really stressful times for the sector. So I definitely want to get into the cash situation, but before we do, I also wanted to make sure uh, to ask you about, so how much does the sector rely on volunteers and what's happening uh, in terms of volunteer resources in the sector? Absolutely. I mean, there's about almost 13 million Canadians who volunteer every year. In many organizations, those services are actually, in fact, delivered by volunteers. So in a time of social distancing and maybe social, social isolation, uh, being able to provide the services that we've done for decades through the delivery mechanism that is volunteers may be, in fact, off the table. And so organizations are struggling right now to say, how do we support those people when we don't have our 
are agents of, of good out there being able to do the work. Yeah, it's just very difficult, right? Like volunteerism, it's uh, obviously an important thing. It's a great opportunity to get back, but it tends to be a really fundamental leg uh, on the stool of charities. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go back uh, to to what you were talking about in terms of the cash situation and the limited um, number of cash reserves that, that charities have, if they have them at all. Um, so what, uh, what can the 2008 financial crisis tell us about those cash reserves and what charities are facing right now? Um, I'm not sure if the same lessons can be drawn from the 2008 economic collapse. Uh, because the, one of the fundamental differences here is that other aspects of the economy continue to function. What we're witnessing now is the economy is coming to a halt. And uh, as it relates to, um, uh, you know, cash reserves, uh, I don't know that much has, has fundamentally changed. One of the things that we're hoping is an outcome of this is that funders in the future will look more favorably upon organizations that seek to build reserves. Because sometimes um, there hasn't been a receptiveness to saying, oh, you seem healthy and you've got money in the bank. Well, why aren't you using that for program? Well, sometimes organizations are building up rainy day funds. And usually it's for fundraising that dips or an event that doesn't do as well, now we've got a situation where we may need it to pay all the bills all the time. So I'm not sure that in as it relates to cash, that there's much that's different than then, but I do anticipate that there will be a real learning coming out of this one. Uh, are charities able to fundraise right now or, or should they even be trying to fundraise right now? Um, in many cases, the answer is no, and this goes beyond fundraising to earned income as well. Um, so, you know, in the case of organizations, you know, whether it's in the arts and culture community that sell tickets or place-based organizations like YMCAs or YWCAs, their doors are actually closed. And so uh, from an earned income perspective, the taps have been turned off. Also from an event perspective. So any form of fundraising that involves gathering has come to a screeching halt. And we've been talking with decision makers about the fact that this isn't just about 100% loss of revenues. This may be like 150%, because if the events were coming up in the near term, it may be that the charity uh, is responsible for paying the hard costs that because they've passed a point of no return. So fundraising in certain types is screeching to a halt. And then I think as organizations, we need to be sensitive and um, empathetic to the needs of Canadians who are losing their jobs in the private sector as to how we now engage as donors. I mean, one simple strategy may be to say, if you had purchased a ticket for an event and you are financially able to do so, instead of asking for a refund, could you just simply convert that to a donation? because we have our costs to still incur. But uh, I, I think the, the sector is still adjusting and adapting to what its fundraising strategy and tactics are going to be. On March 11th, you wrote a letter to the Prime Minister. Can you share uh, with our audience uh, what you said in that letter? Uh, yeah, yes, and a subsequent letter, because uh, this situation is extraordinarily fluid. I think our initial correspondence to the Prime Minister was to ensure that the needs of the charitable and nonprofit sector are included as the government of Canada thinks about its upcoming stimulus packages. Uh, 
One of the other challenges we face at this moment in time is the chronic no home in government issue. So given that there is not a department or a ministry inside the federal government with the domain of championing the interests of the charitable sector, as other sectors of the economy are clamoring for support, it's difficult because we don't really have a designated team in our camp. Um, so that being said, part of that letter was to raise the consciousness of, of government decision makers to say, as a sector that employs 2.4 million Canadians, has 13 million volunteers, is 8.5% of GDP, as you consider the needs of other parts of the economy, it is critical that this part be considered as well. And uh, do you feel like uh, you were listened to? Um, yes, actually. We, we've had lots and lots of conversations. We were pleased to see that in the initial announcement about support for employers, that the language of small businesses, nonprofits, and charities was used. That was an important signal. In, in previous stimulus initiatives, it's been just the language of small business. So it's almost like we've been excluded by omission. The fact that we were intentionally named was an important first step. And discussions continue about what the sector needs. Uh, actually, as of last night, another letter has gone into the Prime Minister and Minister Morneau and a slew of other cabinet ministers that outline a specific request as part of a, a stimulus package. We're you know, seeking $8 billion based on some financial modeling that we've done uh, that talks about the potential both um, you know, employee impact and, and revenue drops uh, for the sector. Uh, so our most immediate need is to get cash into the hands of organizations so they can continue to operate and provide the services that their communities need. In terms of the uh, $82 billion package that, that was announced, and, and I think the government's been pretty clear that this is sort of a first round, if you will, or first iteration um, of uh, support in an economic relief plan. Was there anything that, that helped charities in that plan? Well, there were specific pieces for specific subsectors. Um, the interest that I imagine Canada has is really looking after the sector as a whole. So we, we think that that's yet to come. Fair enough. Um, and so it, I would think that there's some, uh, the experience of charities during this period must be quite varied across the country. There has to be some charities who are being leaned on uh, harder or maybe the hardest they've ever been leaned on uh, during these uh, really difficult times. Uh, can you speak to that at all? Uh, absolutely. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the 2016 paper that our chief economist wrote that really coined the term the social deficit. Uh, it's, a, it's a concept that basically talks about the rising demand for services in an environment where the ability of society to pay for those services is in decline. So demand goes up, supply goes down. It's almost like we're witnessing the social deficit on steroids right now. So there is an inverse relationship in these times. As Canadians, their families are in distress. They come to our sector for support at the very time that the resources available to organizations to provide that support goes down. We are already witnessing layoffs um, of, of 40, 60, 80, 100 percent of staff in organizations right now. I mean, our most optimistic revenue projections, given a three-month social distancing kind of lockdown strategy combined with a mild recession, we're predicting in 2020 revenue drops of about $9.5 billion and 117,000 layoffs just inside the charitable sector. So we're already seeing these, um, uh, these 
financial and human consequences at a time when communities need us the most. It's so difficult. Uh, it, it sometimes feels a bit like like a perfect storm. Uh, absolutely. I think you're totally right on that. It's, uh, it, it's a challenging time for sector leadership. I'm, but one of the things that's actually sort of hopeful is that we've been a sector that's been very creative and very adaptive over the years. Organizations, some who've been around over 100 years, aren't there because they can't adapt. And I, I think what we're hearing now as, as the shock of the magnitude of the, uh, the global shift is happening, organizations are now moving to how do we provide these services? How do we continue? Um, but I think there is a continued message to say that we have to support organizations during this, this sort of short-term period of the next three months because there is this possibility that out with, without the cash to keep going, that they will either uh, kind of go into a state of suspended animation and suspend their operations and or close completely. And that's just not good for communities. There's been some discussion about um, uh, a Dutch approach to economic supports and, and the aim um, of their relief package uh, is really to cryogenically freeze uh, the economic situation of organizations. So kind of hold them in a pattern as to where they were prior to the pandemic so that post-pandemic and post-social distancing, um, you know, an organization can kind of pick up where they left off. Is, is that appropriate for the charitable sector? And if it is, what kind of supports would they need to, to stay in, in a state of stasis? Yeah, well, I guess, first of all, I, I'm not sure that even if a, a three-month sort of social distancing strategy was eased, that we will actually be returning to normal for a while. Uh, I mean, our projections indicate that you know there's, there's likely going to be some form of economic slowdown or recession that accompanies all this. So it won't just be a matter of, flipping the lights back on and it's business as usual. We think it's going to take time for the wheels of society to move again, for Canadians to feel comfortable with their economic status. So in thinking about donors and, and uh, those who give, will they feel comfortable until they're just feeling a little bit more solid about their own lives to return to a place of where they were? I think, though, the thinking around um, trying to provide supports so that the best possible outcome at the end of this tunnel is in place is solid thinking. And to a certain degree, the requests around a stabilization fund and some um, interest-free loans, those are the kinds of supports that I think mirror that type of thinking. How do we ensure these organizations can continue to provide services, operate, and be present when life starts to move back to a more normal curve? Some of us have been looking at um, economic curves, productivity curves, spending curves uh, from the SARS era. And what, what becomes clear when you look at those curves is that once the uncertainty subsides, people tend to come back out and either spend at uh, current levels or maybe even spend at higher levels. But I think what I hear you saying is, is it's a little bit different as it, when it comes to donating. Well, I, and it'll be interesting to see if that pattern pattern holds true this time. I mean, one of the, again, the differences between the scale 
of what we're witnessing right now in SARS was that most Canadians in most sectors actually were continuing to uh, work. What we're starting to witness now is sectors that are shutting down. The economic starting point post-COVID will be different than it was post-SARS. So it will be interesting to see if that pattern of spending returns as quickly as it does, or will people think, I need to get a few more months of salary back in my house before I'm prepared to go and spend and or donate? I think it's going to impact both those streams. Yes, uh, it's it's always important um, to recognize that SARS principally was a hospital-based outbreak. Um, although there were people on the TTC in Toronto, you know, sometimes wearing masks, and and obviously, you, you know, there were community concerns. Principally, materially, it was a hospital outbreak. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's one of the big differences this time is that it's far more widespread. So I wanted to get your reaction on a proposal uh, that came from Cardis, and their proposal was that the Canadian government um, match donations, almost create um, a fund um, either for charities as a whole or allow individual charities um, to fundraise and have the government match uh, support from the public. What's your take on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's one of the ideas that uh, has been um discussed by a number of organizations, and I know that uh, Cardis has uh, kind of led the charge with some thinking there. Um, again, I think all ideas are worth considering. Um, I think our emphasis right now is going to be on ensuring that the government include the sector in its stimulus package, and then look at instruments by which Canadians can support. I think the only thing that we're looking at right now is what is the appetite for Canadians during these times to continue to be donors? So there's other options that are out there, uh, enhancement of tax credit options, these kinds of matching funds, other ideas to stimulate donations. Um, what we're trying to do is actually do a little financial modeling around what we project the financial benefit to be in part because we think it's going to be difficult for Canadians to be thinking about uh, donations at a time when they're worried about their income and their mortgage and, and food on the table. What would you like to see philanthropic foundations doing right now while the sector is in such turmoil? Well, I think the good news is that uh, foundations, both community foundations and philanthropic private foundations, are looking at what they can do. Uh, I, I think um, whether it is easing restrictions on the use of funds. So we've already seen some foundations who have said, if you are receiving funds for a restricted purpose during this crisis time, you can use those for any purpose that you deem fit to support the mission of your organization. So it could be relaxed um, granting criteria. It could be relaxed reporting criteria. It may be that the very people who were there to write your reports have been laid off. And so it'll be important for some flexibility there. And I think foundations are looking creatively at, is there a way to unlock some of the assets that they're sitting on to be able to provide immediate supports to organizations? So the good news I'm hearing from the foundation community is that they're trying to, to think deeply about how that might work. Well, that's uh, that's really heartening. And is there is there a government role for for nudging foundations along, or or just you know uh, opening up a door that's currently closed right now? Um, well, I mean, you know, governments mandate foundations through the disbursement quota to give away X percent. I mean, most foundations in this country 
are above that. So they're already meeting their legally obligated quota. I, I think part of the things that we're inviting government to think about is, are there ways to remove barriers for innovation and creativity during this concentrated period. So whether it's granting to non-qualified donees, and I know we're starting to get into some of the technical language, but if there are partnerships that can emerge that can benefit the community, but they don't meet the current definitions of qualified donees, are there ways to relax these kinds of things? These are the types of ideas that are that are in discussion. I want to make sure we address social enterprises. Are are their situation similar to uh, the not-for-profit charitable sector, or do they have particular concerns and challenges? Um, uh, both similar and different. I mean, I think for social enterprises uh, who might have their revenue streams affected in, in many of the same ways that charities might, it's it's similar. In some of the cases, they may have additional costs that they're carrying if they are, uh, you know, I mean, actually, I guess it's the same for sure. There's many more similarities and differences now that I think that through. But there are some that if they're not able to fundraise, if they're exclusively reliant on earned income, that that presents a unique challenge if that revenue stream disappears altogether. Some listeners may be volunteers on uh, the boards of charities and uh, not-for-profit organizations. Uh, I, I certainly, I sit on the Walrus Foundation board. I sit on the University of Windsor board, uh, both in a volunteer capacity. What are the kinds of things that I should be doing and, and asking questions of management and how can I support management? Um, well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think for those volunteers who are in leadership positions. I think it's to help work with senior management to both manage the the tone, calm, strategic focused communications during this time is important, showing empathy for both the plight of the staff and the volunteers who are delivering programs uh, are key starting points. I think part of what boards can do is work with their senior management teams to say, what's the situation? Let's do an analysis of where we're at. What's the impact on our services? And what's the game plan going forward? Um, The more clarity through getting a kind of a crisis plan in place uh, as soon as possible Uh, the better for the organization. Um, Because there's going to be many service recipients out there, people in communities who are wondering, are their meals still being delivered? Can they access healthcare services? Um, All the other litany of services that are out there, what's happening to that? So that board leadership can help work with staff to create both the plan and the messaging to be able to provide some measure of reassurance to the services and the people who receive those services. For those charities and not-for-profits that that are, you know, uh, either trying because they want to try or because they feel that they have to, that it's their mission to continue um, operating, but obviously respecting the the uh, jurisdictional uh, restrictions that have been placed on them. How prepared were they to to move to? Um, a new, you know, physical distancing environment? Like, was there even infrastructure to to work uh, in a mobile capacity? I don't really have any data on this, but just anecdotally from people I've been talking with over the last couple of weeks, it's really varied. There are some organizations who already 
for a variety of reasons. Maybe it was geographic disbursement. I mean, I work for an organization that has staff in multiple communities. So we had been using digital technology for convening meetings and uh, digital whiteboards and those kinds of things for a while. For us now, it's been a matter of scaling to all of our staff. But there are organizations who are now just entering the world of video conferencing where and they don't necessarily have a, a digital manager. And so it's it's kind of a double whammy. How do we continue to manage the business of the organization? And now how do we manage the business of an organization in a completely distributed way? Uh, it can provide some challenges. And I'd say that it's all over the map in terms of the sector's ability to move with speed to be able to do it well. So I, I'm going to ask you um, the difficult question of, of maybe putting a, a crystal ball in, in front of you and ask you, what do you think is going to be different about the charitable sector um, coming out the other side of this pandemic? Well, you're talking to someone who's an eternal optimist. So if that, <laughs> I, think, I think when you work in the charitable sector, sometimes that's your, your, your nature. Um, I, I think there will be some positive aspects on this. I think that organizations that maybe did not have crisis communications or, or crisis plans in place uh, will ensure that they're there in the future because they'll just be living them and now they can write them down. I, I think there may be um, opportunities for funders to reconsider uh, in the future looking at the financial health of organizations and, in fact, rewarding those who build reserves for these kinds of situations. Um, it may be that the, the challenges in communicating inside the federal government propel a conversation about having a home in government in the future. At the same time, though, I, I do think that there is a severe risk that many organizations won't reopen depending on the length of this, this crisis. If this moves well beyond three months and the uh, infusion, hopeful infusion of, of stimulus into the, the sector, though like nothing has been announced yet, so I need to be clear on that, but hopefully there'll be support coming from government. But the more this goes, the more it's prolonged, the less that we as a sector are prepared to, to withstand that. So uh, it is likely that there would be uh, some organizations who come out the other end of this and say, uh, either it's going to take a lot to rebuild, and we're not necessarily sure we have the staff and volunteer base to do that, Maybe we combine forces with another organization to provide services. I think there's going to be a reshifting of the landscape a bit, uh, as depending on the length of the crisis. Picking up uh, on what you said um, about cash reserves, um, I uh, I've worked in the charitable sector. I've also worked in the acute care sector, and. You know, post uh, SARS uh, and during H1N1, we did develop stockpiles, um, not of cash, but of things that we needed. So, and even though they're proving to be insufficient, um, given how contagious and how long this pandemic uh, is uh, expected to go on for, um, we did stockpile some things coming out of, you know, various SARS reports. In addition to cash, uh, I would think that, you know, charities should also be able to fundraise for, you know, stockpiling. Like, for example, if if they offer residential services, I guess they need to start stockpiling cleaning supplies. You know, if you go to the grocery store, the shelves are empty. I, I often ask myself, my goodness, what, what are charities doing right now? Uh, I think you I think you raise a great point. And I think that, you know, you think about these outcomes down the road. 
it's not just necessarily cash that organizations might look to, but also to say, what is essential in the delivery of our services and our programs that we need to think about having reserves of? So maybe supplies, it may be also understanding our supply chain. How how strong is our supply chain to be able to withstand these kinds of prolonged service interruptions? So, uh, yeah, I think that's a great point that uh, we'll be looking differently at our businesses fundamentally at the end of this. And what resources are available uh, to help nonprofits and charities? I know Imagine Canada uh, offers uh, some online resources and guidance. Maybe you could just uh, speak to those specifically. First of all, what we're really witnessing is a coming together of the sector. So I think, uh, you know, these kinds of things where people are, are talking about stuff, webinars are, are emerging where people can come together and actually discuss uh, the kinds of things that they can almost collectively problem solve around them. So I, I think that there's forums that are emerging. We're seeing organizations pop up all over the place that are, that are starting to do uh, discussions around cash flow, around uh, uh, you know volunteer management during times when you're delivering services and don't have any volunteers. It's connecting with each other because again, to a certain degree, even the services that we had uh, weren't necessarily structured for this kind of crisis. So I think to a certain degree, some of this stuff is going to be emergent. And so before we wrap up, you gave a great example of uh, one way individuals uh, can support charities. If you've already bought a ticket to uh, an event-based fundraiser, maybe consider uh, just leaving your funds with the charity, even though the event or the show won't go on. Um, is there Are there any other suggestions you, you have for individuals? It's to be intentional. And I think we, we want to be empathetic and understand that Canadians' everyday lives are being impacted by this situation, but also invite them to think about the services that they, their family members, their friends and their work colleagues have come to rely on, and that it's likely during this time of crisis that many of those will need those services. And if they're able to continue their support or heaven forbid, be able to increase knowing that charities are facing some really tough times to do that, that would be a, a welcome invitation. Bruce McDonald, thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you for educating us on what's happening in the not-for-profit and charitable sector. And thank you for supporting this really important sector through extremely difficult times. And thank you for the opportunity to have a conversation about these important issues and have a great day.